everyone, and welcome back into another fabulous episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by such a delightful guest today. We have the playwright and performer Chris Thompson, whose show Two Foreskins Walk Into a Bar is playing September 14th, October 12th, November 9th, and December 14th at the Crane Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. And we are so excited to have this show on our, our program today. And we can't wait to be sharing it with you. So why don't we just rush right into it. Bring on our guest, Chris Thompson. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be with you. I'm so excited to have you. As I was mentioning before we started, your show has been on our radar, kind of like subconsciously. Like we've been circling each other you know, for months now, we, we saw you on social media and then we've seen the posters at the Crane Theater recently. And now here we are, you've got a great residency there and we're finally getting the chance to talk. So I am so excited. The show sounds so fascinating and I'm, I can't wait for, you, for us to dive more into it. So why don't we start by having you tell our listeners a little bit more about what Two Foreskins Walk Into a Bar is about. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm glad you've seen my foreskin lurking around because it has been making its way around the city. <laughs> I've been doing a bit of a campaign on social media and people are probably sick of it. So yeah, so the show is called Two Foreskins Walk Into a Bar and it's a semi-autobiographical show about a loser British playwright called Chris Thompson who gets divorced, moves to New York and basically has a bit of a nervous breakdown. But it turns into, I guess what you would describe for kind of PG audiences as a sexual reawakening. And it really looks at maybe like a six month period in my life where I just turn my whole life on its head. And I think the, the play is about really figuring what I did and why. That's incredible. So is this a autobiographical, semi-autobiographical story? If I'm talking to my dad, it's semi, 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 semi-autobiographical. It's really more autobiographical than I would like to like to admit. There's a few things that I've tweaked. Like, for example, I've uh, obviously changed a few people's names. I've kind of amalgamated a couple of characters just for anonymity. But everything in the play did happen in one form or other in my life. And I don't know if that's something to be proud of or not, but that, that is the reality. <laughs> Rather than put it up on YouTube, you've put it up on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I think if you're going to go down, go down live. Live that's in front of I... people. Yeah. Well, where did you come up with the idea to take this experience and put it into a show? Well, I it came through... A few years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and I'm fine now. This is a good ending, but I'm in remission. But I got to a place in my life as an artist where I really started thinking carefully about what I put into the world and what I leave behind. And I realised with COVID as well, it had been a bit of a gap since I'd put any art into the world. I was kind of caught in a long process of development with all my playwriting projects in the UK and I have a, a small audience, you know, a, a wonderful, modest audience in the UK. And I felt I hadn't spoken to them for ages. So the the overriding gesture of this was about me putting my work into the world in a way that I had total control with no gatekeepers, no producers, no one standing in my way saying yes or no, just you can do it. And for me to do it myself. 
So I thought, actually, I think I need to do that with perhaps like a more personal story. It just feels easier to take control of. So I actually released it first of all as a podcast and not even it started in January this year, I think. So I I released 10 episodes as a podcast and it took off. (laughs) It took off. We got, got like huge numbers of listeners and like um, these are wonderful reviews on iTunes that like I couldn't have made them better if I wrote them myself you know I just was so touched and delighted that the work was speaking to people from all over the world my foreskin's very big in Peru like I was number two in the charts there so we made the top 20 here in the US the top 10 in the UK like it was really exciting and then when I listened to it back I thought I've written a play. When you just listen to the 10 episodes, this is a this is a solo show. So that's when I thought, no, I'm going to really uh, like now I'm here in New York. I'm going to try and get this on the on the New York stage. That's amazing. That is amazing. And I'm so happy to hear that everything is good with you now and that you're you're in better health. So that's so wonderful to hear. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. So with all of this. With, with you know, going from a podcast to a play and everything, what has it been like developing the show? It's been wonderful because it's given myself, my self-esteem as an artist, I feel I've given that back to, that power back to me. And uh, like, it's all on me and I'm not waiting for anyone and I can just do it. Like, I feel I have agency. It's wonderful. It's greatly humbling to be pounding the pavements. I've put my short shorts on and gone to Hell's Kitchen to try and give out flyers to get the gays in. I've, you know, I've put posters up. I've done loads of things. You know, you just it's hustle. It's the New York hustle. So that has been, on my good days, I say invigorating. On my less good days, <laughs> soul destroying, but also mainly invigorating. And it's been kind of terrifying too, standing alone on the stage, telling a story in which I make myself very vulnerable. Like people gasp at some of the things I'm I'm saying in the play. So standing on stage doing that and reliving it is something that's really exciting exposing but really it's it's I feel quite honored to be able to do it and honored that people are coming to listen to it so overall it has been and continues to be a really fantastic experience I I feel really lucky I love that now this is a very comedic piece obviously you know we we've been jesting back and forth about it But still, is there a message or a thought you're hoping that the audience will take away from the show? Yeah, I mean, it is comedy, but then it it kind of flips. Part of what I really think about now as an artist is I want to be really like I want to be entertained. So when I put something into the world now, like for me, if it's theater or TV or film like or a podcast, it has to be entertaining. But I also like to be deeply spoken to. And there's something really beautiful about the way this this piece is connecting with people. And actually, it's about like a gay guy having a bit of a like a, a midlife crisis. But it's really speaks beyond that audience. Like, you know, the, it's anyone that has anyone that has squeezed the toothpaste out the tube in their life and then tried to put it back in. <laughs> like, It really speaks to about that. And yeah, I think it's really I don't like plays to have a message. That's just my personal thing. I've, I feel a bit. My style of theatre isn't isn't to the teach you or instruct you. I feel you're watching my character on stage learn some life lessons. And if you take anything from that, then that's great. But there's no real kind of, I want you to kind of like suddenly start thinking in this different way 
because of this. I do believe theatre can make you do that, but I think theatre that intentionally sets out to do that, I feel suddenly loses something a, a bit special and becomes polemic. So I really hope people feel a sense of connection with the character. I hope they feel seen and spoken to, and I hope they feel something quite powerful in the way I make myself vulnerable on stage and uh, speak about shame, desire, and how you can sometimes use humour as a defence mechanism. So I think that's why I'm kind of, that's what I'm, I'm honing in on the play. And I think people do pick up on that. And I get really, like, I get really beautiful messages. I get a lot of dick pics, but I also get a lot of really beautiful messages from men, women, you know, trans people, all the whole gamut of society do feel spoken to by what I'm writing. And I guess that's because it's quite specific. And then people take from that what they what they want so wonderful i love that well to wrap up this first part of the interview i want to ask who do you hope have access to two foreskins walk into a bar well anyone that likes a good night out at the theater i i'm old school theater for me means you have to laugh you cry you gasp like we're all in it together and we all have a good night out. And then we talk about the play in the bar afterwards. That's kind of me. So in terms of access, I believe theatre, you know, we've actually, there's a pay what you can version of the play. So you can, the, the ticket prices are such that there's a pay what you can entry level. So it means financially, I don't think anyone would be excluded. And I guess, yeah, we've been kind of targeting gay men of a certain age, but I feel that hasn't really done service to who it's really speaking to and, you know, and who actually is coming. It's not for children. <laughs> that is for sure. Now, I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And I want to start by asking you what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites? That is such a, a lovely question. It's such a, a lovely thing to be able to ex speak about all the artists that you, you felt a connection with. Writing for me is my second career. So I was a social worker for 12 years in London before I became a writer. So I feel very lucky to have had like another life where I've learned about what I write in my plays in a different way, if that makes sense. I think the play that really, there was the first play that got my heartbeat, heartbeat racing was Top Girls by Carol Churchill. And there was something about the structure of that play in the third act. And you suddenly see what is being said and communicated to you is through character and is through story but then just where you put those things in the order of the piece you know in, in the most simplest way of describing it suddenly just just gave the, the piece a thrilling extraordinary new meaning to me so I, I always think of Top Girls and, and Carol Churchill and how she never writes the same play twice you know every play is really different and the form of the play is precisely what the what it needs to be to suit what the what the play is about and I can't think of any other artist really that that writes in in that way a lot of us try to but she really is the she's the OG and then I'm also a real musical theatre geek so 
I like Stephen Sondheim is I'm sure everyone says this but Stephen Sondheim is very important to me and then not so much musical theatre but he's done some Terence McNally and then Howard Ashman is my other real hero for in terms of writing I think like no one writes lyrics like Howard Ashman it's really uh, and to think what he might have done had he lived a bit longer is you know it's it's kind of sad yeah well, now, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, like, I, I mean, I've been in New York for a while now, so I haven't seen anything in the UK recently. I've got two things that are... The, so the the wild card, which I think a lot of people might have seen, is Titanic, because I didn't know what to expect. And just the the pure joy of that show. It's so silly, but it's so well done. And then... What they do that is so smart is to take amazing care with the music. So you've got the best of Broadway singing these incredible songs. So it's just wonderful. And it's so funny. And I really, really felt joyful. I really like shows where you feel different on the way out than when you, when you, before when you came in, you know, and it might not change your outlook on life, but it really did just lift me. It was just, there was something very special about it in a way that I think like you might turn your nose up at that show and it breaks you down. Like it, you know, even if you go with your arms folded and go, what is this? You can't, you can't resist it. And then the other one that I I haven't seen this production in New York, but it's a play I've read a few times because it was done in the UK a while ago. There's one called The Half God of Rainfall by Inua Ellums, and it's at New York Theatre Workshop. I don't think it could be more different from Titanic. It's a very lyrical, almost piece of poetry, really, about a Nigerian half-god, and it also gets the NBA basketball team in there as well. Like, it is an astonishing piece of writing. Uh, it was done in the UK a while back, and he's a he's a fantastic writer. He's known for the Barbershop Chronicles. I think that's his biggest play that kind of went around the world. And this is this is really the, the mixture of, like, Nigerian myth and basketball. It's just, you kind of go... Of course, they have to go together. Like, it, yeah, but no one would, no one else would have thought that. So, it's a really special piece of writing. And although I've not seen this production here, I, I can't imagine it being anything other than really, really fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful! Two great, two great suggestions. Absolutely. Now, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Well, I used to say, I still do that. I still do say this, actually. The, the first and foremost is the audiences. I, I believe that each show is a special gift that you give to the audience and you must never take them for granted. And I, I don't like shows where I feel like the, the creative team hate me <laughs> when I'm in the audience. I feel like, I don't know, I don't like shows where I feel like being really punished or or uh, yeah, yeah, there's just something about those shows where you think, why have you made this so grueling for us all, you know? So I really, for me, connecting with the audience until now it's always been after the show in the bar or on social media but now for me it's connecting with the audience on stage and being on stage which is new to me I've never done this before hearing the laughter hearing the joy the kind of squirms of embarrassment and sharing that journey for like the the 95 minutes every night has been something that's really I underestimated how special that would feel and it's made me feel really lucky and grateful to to be doing that. So that's my my new thing. And this is the end of me because I'm really addicted to the applause as well. I did not know. I had I thought, oh gosh, 
when I first got that round of applause, I came back for a second one. I don't think it was really warranted, but I was coming back because I this was, and I think this is dangerous now. I think I've struck on something inside of me that like I've created a monster. <laughs> so like the audience, but not the applause. And then collaborating is really, really fun. That that place when you're in the process of collaborating, workshopping ideas, you're not quite at the production, so it's all safe. There's no risk yet because like the critics aren't coming for a few weeks, you know, you're not in the theatre and any idea is good and you don't have to land on it yet. There's this wonderful like two or three week period in every process where you're just, you're just creating and everything is coming out of you without the fear of the, the, the next step. And I really, really love that, love that space. I love that. Well, now we've arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Ooh, Andrew. Okay. Is there, am I only allowed one? You are allowed as many as you would like. Okay. I've got two and I've picked, I've picked New York ones because I think like I'm in New York at the moment. So the first one is I saw Rent on Broadway in 1998 for my 18th birthday. And my family, who do not have a lot of money, flew me over. I get emotional just thinking it flew me over to New York with my sister. And this cost a lot of money for people that didn't have a lot of money. And I saw Rent on Broadway. And it wasn't that long after it opened. It must have opened in, what, 96 or something? So, you know, it's a few years into its run. And that is the reason why I'm sitting in New York now, aged 43, talking to you, is because of that particular moment. And some of it went over my head, even as a as an 18 year old, I didn't fully understand what I was watching. And I remember thinking at the time, like, where's the revolving stage? Where's the helicopter? Where's this big set piece, you know, and obviously it doesn't happen. But then that the, the set piece is how moved you are at the at the end of the show. And it remains for all the flaws in writing or however you might want to see it through our contemporary eyes. To me, it still remains a really special piece of writing. Like you won't beat some of those lyrics, you know, in that, in that, in that show and what it did and how it spoke to me and really is responsible for my love affair of New York City. So that is a really special moment for me. And I think anyone that saw it on Broadway originally, like, will. We'll, 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 you're nodding, like we'll, we'll feel that, yeah. Yes, yes. 10 out of 10, we'll recommend, yes. <laughs> and then my other one is a New York one. I saw, this sounds so la-di-da, but I saw Follies in 2011, I think it was, and it had Bernadette Peters in and somebody else famous, and Elaine Page, and... And I saw it on Christmas Eve and it was kind of snowy. And I was with my then partner who is just a great man and we're still on good terms, you know, and like there was just something very special seeing a Broadway show with these Broadway legends, like on Christmas Eve in New York and then having like a, a meal afterward. Like it just felt kind of, I was like, look at my life. Like, this isn't what it is. At all. This is such a kind of, it's not what my day-to-day life is because I was still a social worker working in child protection with, with you know, young prisoners and all that kind of stuff, you know? So to be suddenly swept up in the snowy, glamorous Christmas Eve world and Bernadette Peters singing whatever, like losing my mind, it was just so fantastic for me. So that is another thing that I feel, feels really personally very special to me and a great show about compromise in the adult world. 
I love I love both of those. Those are fantastic. Those really are great memories. Thank you so much for sharing them. I I really do oh, to see Follies too with Bernadette Peters. Oh moon yes. about that. Well, do you have any projects or productions coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Yeah, I mean, it's all a bit, it's that that pipeline. Oh boy, that pipeline. Sometimes you see light at the end of it and other times like people like shove on an extra bit of pipe and you're like, oof. So I've got a couple of things coming up. I think my next things might be screen, you know. I'm working on a, on a movie with one of the producers of Call Me By Your Name and it's a, it's like a historical gay romance, which I'm excited about. And then I have another play of mine under option, which is called Burn. And I did a bit of a reading with it. It's on on my website with Kit Harrington and you, you get a sense of it. So that's, we're currently finding venues and names for that. And then I've also just been speaking to a producer about one of my older plays, which is about gay surrogacy. I do write things that aren't about gay stuff, just if anyone's wondering, but doesn't sound like it today. It's a gay surrogacy drama that did quite well in, in when it first came out in the UK. And I've been keen to kind of bring that to a, a US audience. So there's nothing in the diary. But the, the, if I was to plug one thing for your listeners is I have a, a community LGBT plus play that for youth that was it was done with the National Theatre in, in the UK a few years ago and it's had over a hundred productions around the UK and I forget I wrote it I just had this joyful experience in my life where like people perform this play and it's done all the time and if anyone watches Heartstopper Joe Locke who was in Heartstopper his only other acting credit before he was in Heartstopper was in this play Dungeness he did it with his community theatre and I'm always a bit dubious when people say it changes people's lives, but like it just it's very powerful having this story in in schools, in youth settings and putting this play on. So a dream of mine would be to have its first US production. So the play is called Dungeness and it has a website, Dungeness site, Dungeness.site. Oh, God, I can't remember. Anyway, just Google Dungeness Chris Thompson. And it's just such a joyful little show that has brought a lot of fun to a lot of people and allowed them to address homophobia or given a voice to their LGBT students, just give them a like a loud and proud show to be in. So yeah, Dungeness is the one that if anyone's listening and looking for community production, you would you would win my heart if you got that, if you got that over the ground here. I love all that. Wow. Well, that leads us to my final question with all these projects and great things happening, which is if our listeners want more information about Two Foreskins Walk Into a Bar or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? Oh, well, I love to hear from people. So for tickets to Two Foreskins, it's frigid.myc and the social media handle for Instagram and Twitter is at Two Foreskins. If you want to, and if you the person that does at two foreskins is me so if people want to chat to me on instagram they'll be get they'll be getting me at two foreskins if you want to look at my website it's www.christhompsonwriter.com christhompsonwriter.com and you can contact me that way as well it's always lovely to connect with people and can i just try and find i didn't say it very well if i could give the website for dungeness if you wouldn't mind me doing that the Twitter the or the Instagram handle, thank you, is Dungeness Play, which is D-U-N-G-E-N-E-S-S Play. That's at Dungeness Play. And the website is dungeonessplay.site. 
dungeonsplay.site. But if you Google Dungeness Chris Thompson, it, it comes up. And yeah, it's such a lovely little show. And I think it would do some wonderful things here in the US, particularly in Florida. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by today and share this amazing show and all the other insight you shared. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. So thank you so much. Well, Andrew, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, thank you. I hope we cross paths sometime. Come see me after the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll thank have a drink in so Sardis. Yes. <laughs> My guest today has been the playwright and performer Chris Thompson, whose show Two Foreskins Walk Into a Bar is playing September 14th, October 12th, November 9th, and December 14th at the Crane Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. We also have some contact information and websites for Chris himself, as well as some of his other works, which we'll be posting on our episode description, as well as on our social media post. But make sure you head over to frigid.nyc now, get your tickets for one of the four remaining performances at the Crane Theater of Two Foreskins Walk Into a Bar, and stay tuned to our social media and to our Broadway bulletins for when we will announce when we are attending the show and we'll make it a stage whisper night out at the theater. That's two foreskins walk into a bar at the Crane Theater. Tickets are available at frigid.nyc. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. The lights of old-